This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and for this mission, I'm joined by a very regular guest as of late. Joining me once again in the NX01 conference room is Melodic Trek's host, Brandon Shea Mutala. Welcome aboard, Brandon. Hey, how's it going? All right. Well, hey, you know, we might just need to go ahead and contact Admiral Hernandez and get you reassigned as co-host of Warp 5 because you are spending a lot of time here and we might as well just go ahead and get you commissioned. What do you, what do you think about that? Sounds like more paperwork to me. <laughs> well, we can, we can assign you as like assistant yeoman maybe to take care of some paperwork, maybe. This is as know. long as she brings me hot coffee. That's all that I care about. Right, in the painted cup. Right. Okay. So, yeah, Brandon, thank you so much for joining me on this landmark occasion for Warp 5. We actually have a very special show planned, Boomers, for today because this is actually the 100th episode of Warp 5. What? Yeah, 100 episodes. So this, like, we're, we're marking a mark on the wall here. How tall are we? We are 100 episodes tall. So, yeah, Chris Jones and Kate Walsh, they pulled out a space dock about, oh, I don't know, about three years ago. And I'd like to send out a very special thank you to Chris, Kate, and all other hosts and guests that have served or visited the NX01 during this three-year run. Thank you so, so much. So if we've done 100 episodes on Warp 5, that means we've done more episodes than Enterprise. Oh, yep. Were they 97 or 98? What was it, 97? Yeah, maybe 98. So, 98? Yeah. That's yep. crazy. We already have more Warp 5 episodes talking about Enterprise than they had episodes of Enterprise. So should we change the show to Warp 6 now? Um, well, you know, they were kind of faking it that they were actually a Warp 5 ship anyway. It was more like one, like Warp 4.1 or 4.2. So we actually probably are up to Warp 5 right now. That's like my iPad, man. I bought this iPad. It, they told me on the iPad it was a 16-gig iPad. I open it up, and there's like four gigs used of garbage. Like, who needs an operating system? Like, Right. Yep. That's how they, they trick you on that, the, the marketing and all that. So actually, Boomers, to celebrate this very special episode, 
we have a very special guest. Coming aboard the NX01, we have Mr. Enterprise Season 4 himself, Manny Cotto. This is awesome. I'm going to I'm going to just enter the transporter controls here. I hope I don't like melt. I hope he doesn't melt when I bring him in here or we accidentally get some trees and branches like embedded into his skin. So let's see what happens here. And joining us today is Manny Cotto, executive producer for Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, thank you so much, Manny, for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking your time, uh, taking the time out of your day to speak with us. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Your first writing credit is from Alfred Hitchcock Presents in 1988, and your first executive producer credit was on The Outer Limits in 1995. Uh, how did you get involved in the film and television business, and uh, what's it What's the difference between being a producer on a show and simply writing for one? Well, my, my original you know, uh, trajectory was actually writing and directing uh, features. I went to AFI to do exactly that. And when I got out of AFI, it was, uh, you know, I had, uh, I had uh, directed an AFI short, and I uh, you know, was lucky enough to get some you know, a low-budget horror film to direct, and I directed like a Dolph Lundgren uh, action film and a, a horror film like Dr. Giggles. And my TV stuff kind of happened concurrently alongside that. It was, uh, you know, my first, uh, like you said, my first published, uh, my first credit was an Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And it was really a, that was a script based on a short film I had done before AFI. And I, and I was dying to sell something. So I saw, you know, Alfred Hitchcock Presents was coming back. And I, I kind of rewrote it into an Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode and submitted it. And and got uh, accepted and that was actually the, i mean i think the reason i got in I, I got into the guild from that was because the guild immediately went on strike when i sold that episode it was like eight, the strike of 88 and so uh i sold that credit got you know went but it immediately went i think like on a six-month strike so you know in that time i you know i wrote a lot of specs and whatnot and uh you know slowly built up a, a resume but uh and, 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 you know, it, it was weird because over the years, like I said, I've, I've been kind of bouncing back. I was bouncing back between directing and writing and, and kind of my television stuff uh, kind of overcame it. And the reason I ended up in, in television was really Spider-Man, which is kind of a long and strange story. But back in the 90s, I, I was always a Spider-Man fan from the 60s. I was desperate to do Spider-Man. And I wanted to try to write a Spider-Man feature. So I was trying to get the rights to Spider-Man as a feature. Nobody wanted them. Nobody was interested. It was, it, I think it was belonged to like Canon films at the time. You know, a couple people had the different rights. And basically my agent said, nobody can figure out who owns it. Nobody wants it. It's a junk thing, but there is an available, you, you, it's possible you can develop it for television. And so I wrote it. I mean, I was desperate to do it. So I said, so fine, I'll do it for television. So I wrote a pilot for television for ABC. This is back again, like in the early nineties, something like that. And uh, sold it to ABC. They bought it, but they were going to produce it. And uh, it was going, and we met with Stan Lee, and I'll never forget it because I met with Stan, and he was, you know, he was violently uh, against the script for one main reason, and that was because I had organic web shooters, and so it never went forward because of the objections from Marvel. Anyway, long story short, that's how I ended up in television because from that that script got me a bunch of jobs, a lot of recognition, got me on Outer Limits. And ultimately, I uh, I started off in outer. I went back, went into Outer Limits and, and started off as a supervising producer. Wrote an episode that everybody really loved. And there was a an executive producer at the time who wasn't working out. And 
I remember they had a script based on George R. R. Martin's Sand Kings, which nobody could crack. And I was there and I suddenly just kind of blurted out a pitch on how to fix the thing. And the the trilogy guys, who were the guys running the sh- kind of the, the overall executive producers of, of the thing at the time, kind of looked at me and said, go do it. And I did it. And they really loved it. And that's what they ended up shooting. But I, it, So they, they made me a, a co-exec at the time and kind of got rid of the other guy. And that, I just kind of jumped to the top uh, it, from, from that, at least on that show. And I've been doing you know television on and off ever since. Now, you asked me the difference between a, a you know produ- producer. Well, in television, it's two different things. I mean, in in movies, the director basically is the filmmaker, is the creator, is the person who is uh, who is in charge of delivering the final product uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, and is in charge of kind of every every aspect of it, at least uh, for for a lot of films. Uh, in television, it really that that kind of uh, that job belongs to the writer. It's the writers who are casting who are editing who are you know creating the stories and approving the set designs and whatnot um and it's because just the, the way that you know the two mediums developed television is you know, the, the director comes into television directs an episode and then goes away where the writer is there for the entire season it's the writer's job to kind of oversee the entire production and so it's two different completely different uh uh, ways to work, one for television and one for, for movies. According to IMDb, you've written numerous movies and TV episodes. So what has stood out to you as your most favorite movie or show that you've written or the one that connected with you the most? To me, the most fun that I've you know ever had, honestly, was, was, was uh, and the one that connected to me the most would be, um, I'd have to say Odyssey 5, which is the show I created for Showtime. This would be, I mean, by the way, I, I would basically put this at a tie between with, with Odyssey 5 and Star Trek, because Star Trek was always a dream of mine. I was a Star Trek fan since I was a kid. So getting to work on Star Trek was a pretty, pretty great moment. But um, Odyssey 5 was a script that I uh, kind of came, uh, came up with and, and an idea that hit me while I was sitting in the tub for the entire series. And I wrote it and it got sold. And it was one of those things that everybody just loved immediately, the networks. And, but, you know, it was a long gestation period it was originally sold at nbc who really loved the script and george clooney was attached to exec produce um but nbc didn't want to do science fiction so it kind of then languished and then showtime bought it and it ended up becoming a showtime series but i always particularly just loved that concept i loved the series and uh it was just a real baby of mine something that i just loved that came from the heart now now second like i said was was maybe star trek because i was always a star trek fan from uh, from the earliest days and to work on the Star Trek franchise was a, uh, was really was a dream come true. I mean, it was, it was just, just glorious. And, and uh, I, I really enjoyed writing similitude. That was something that was close to my heart. That episode, the idea of it, of a person, you know, living his life in such a short span of, of time and, and only to have to sacrifice it in the end to, to save another person. I just was a, it was an emotional episode. It was a, an idea that, that that when it hit me, I, I immediately fell in love with. So, I, I mean, I would, I would have to cite those two. Well, Similitude was actually your first writing credit for Enterprise, and it made our top five, our recent top five or best moments in Enterprise, the whole series. So we're a big fan of that. Oh, wow, that's that. exciting. Wow, what an honor. Uh, was there any particular inspiration for that episode? Not particularly. I remember, um, 
I remember a story many, many, many years ago, I read as a kid, I think it was a Ray Bradbury story about a, an individual who lived on a planet and whose lifespan was very short. And I, I think that, that always struck me as a, as a cool idea. And I think it might've been in the back of my head when I, uh, when I came up with this, I mean, I, 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 you know, the idea of, of having to grow something that, that, you know, that for, to, to replace trip uh, or to save trip and, and some, you know, basically growing a, uh, 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 an organ donor was kind of my, my, my twist on the idea. And then, you, you know, what if you, you grew it, you, you're basically creating an organ donor that you fell in love with and, you know, then you didn't want to, uh, you'd have to kill to, to, you know, make the host survive was, uh, you know, my, uh, my twist on the idea. So I, I think that was an early inspiration. So Brandon, uh, Trek FM host, John Mills had a question. Uh, we have a show on our network called Stage Nine, and the basic premise of the show is we examine the works of Star Trek creators, but we examine their work outside of Star Trek. And they actually recently, uh, for their Shocktoberfest, they they studied Doctor Giggles for an episode. And uh, <laughs> oh no, <yeah. laughs> how did that go? Uh, it was fun. It was fun to listen to them. I haven't seen Doctor Giggles myself. I really I don't remember the actor's name, but I really like him. I think he's a I think he's a good actor in that one. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, he was he was a sweetheart. I brought him in to uh, read on Enterprise for a part. Yes, he was actually. Um, it was Larry Drake I was talking about. And he was you know kind of devastated uh, because he he came in to read and he didn't know that I was the exec producer. And when I came, he came into the room and I I said Larry and I gave him a big hug. He was like, "Who's this guy? He had forgotten me. He hadn't seen me in like ten years." And so afterwards, he went home. And he was horrified because he you know he somebody wrote me after he died that he had always obsessed over this moment that he had not remembered me and uh so his death was particularly tragic we had a lot of fun. i had a lot of fun with him on, on that movie it's a fun movie to do well he did get some star trek work he was in a season seven two-parter of voyager called workforce yeah no i know i know i know i, I wanted i wanted to get him uh, on enterprise i just was always you know i always i managed to try to get people i like, like peter weller who, who did odyssey for me uh i guess you know i got him on enterprise and uh, he, uh, he, you know, it was season four and, and he's like, well, I'll do it. But I, you know, I want to direct an episode of the season five. And <laughs> basically, I mean, I, in the back of my mind, I kind of knew that season four was going to be it, but I told him, yeah, sure. Anyway, no problem. <laughs> and so for that, since that day, he accuses me of having horn swoggled him, but yeah, he had fun anyway. Your work with Peter Weller on Odyssey five, like you, you worked with him quite a lot. Now I, I, I've, I've seen all of 24, but I can't remember. Was he in season four or season five? Season five, yeah, I put Peter in every everything I did after that. I went, I put him on Star Trek, I put him on Twenty Four, I put him on Dexter, uh, and uh, well, I'm back on Twenty Four, so I can, there's nothing new. To, he's dead, so I can't bring him back. Back to Doctor Giggles, Giggles for a minute here. So John Mills wants to know: so how did your early work on horror prepare you or influence you later on in your work? I, I don't know how my early work influenced me on my later work. I, I was always, I've always been a horror fan. Uh, always, uh, um, you know, I've always loved classical horror. One of my favorite writers of all time is H.P. Lovecraft. And uh, uh, in the early, you know, in the, in the 80s, I was a Clive Barker fan, standing in line at the Change of Hobbit back in Santa Monica, the bookstore, to get his autograph. And that was always a uh, just a particular influence on me. I've always been, you know, attracted to, you know, horror and, and the macabre and those kind of subjects. 
matters. And, you know, and I think, you know, the later seasons of Enterprise were a little darker. I don't know if that was an influence. But uh, I know 24 was particularly dark, although it doesn't really qualify as horror. But I've always been kind of, you know, drawn to a little darker uh, treatment of subject matter. Uh, that's always been with me since, uh, since I was a kid. You mentioned that you've been a Star Trek fan for like almost all your life. Is there, is there any moment or anything that stands out to you that really, you know, that, that when you became a fan or what, what is it a memory that comes back to you that really makes you think that this is why I'm a Star Trek fan? I think, I mean, I remember when it first came out very in the sixties, 69, I was too young. I actually didn't like it. I like start. I like lost in space. And, uh, I was not, uh, you know, I remember one night my parents watching an, ep- an episode. It was the Gamesters of Triskelion. And uh, I was like, this is too weird for me. But years, like a few years later, when it was in, it was in syndication in the 70s is when I fell in love with it in high school. And I remember, you know, my Orlando, the Orlando local Orlando station would run the entire run, you know, in order. And I remember I would wait for months for my three favorite episode run which was uh, who mourns for adonis a mock time and then um uh the doomsday machine and I, I those were my like the ones that i just would, could not wait to see over and over again and i think who mourns for adonis was one of my first when i first realized i loved the show because i really i was really emotionally uh, taken by that episode you know the betrayal the performance by uh, the actor who played Apollo, and 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 uh, you know I, I I was really moved by the whole thing, and I and I and I think in that moment I just kind of fell in love with with Star Trek and what this show could do. This was a different kind of you know science fiction. So I was always a science fiction fan. I mean, you know, it, to me it was the like I said the early early Irwin Allen stuff. Uh, Land of the Giants was one I, I couldn't believe. I couldn't wait for when it came out and and Lost in Space and stuff. But this was something totally different and I realized it was a higher order and and you know and reading about Star Trek led me into reading books about uh, you know science fiction books I, it was the great thing about Star Trek was written by science fiction authors who I then immediately you know sought out and read and uh, so it kind of really uh, you know changed my whole life but uh, yeah I would say it was that those three episodes so off the cuff question here so if you re- read some of these authors outside of Star Trek, so what kind of connection do you think there is between the Star Trek universe and H.P. Lovecraft with the old ones? <laughs> That's a good one. I I don't know. I I uh, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I don't know. Has, has there been a, a connection? There might have been. Robert Block in uh, in Cat's Paw and What Are Little Girls Well, that's true. That's true. That's right. That's a good connection. <laughs> I should have guessed that one. <laughs> Robert Block was a big Lovecraft uh, fan, and and, and uh, yeah, the, you know, the Jack the Ripper, I guess. Jack, you know, the the, the Jack the Ripper uh, spirit, whatever I forget what it was called. Could I guess could have been, you know, an escape old one, the spirit of an old one, I guess. Your approach coming into the show as a fan was very different than the approach that uh, Brandon and Rick had coming in. Like, they were making a very different type of TOS prequel than, I think, what you had intention when you came into the show. Can you explain your approach when you came in as, an, as a co-executive producer? Well, my, my, my feeling was that I, I, uh, I, I really felt that Enterprise uh, had an opportunity to really uh, draw on some touchstones from the original series. Um, I felt that there were, you know, worlds in the Star Trek universe that had not been explored and that were just sitting there 
you know, ripe for, for exploration and, you know, to, to open up these worlds. I mean, I thought, you know, uh, instead of, in, you know, going off and inventing new species and new things and new this, I wanted to know what the Andorian home world looked like. I wanted to know what, you know, life on, on Andor was, you know, what, what was that like? I wanted to see more uh, of Vulcan, the cultural landscape, the people, the, you know, how people lived, what was going on there, the history of Vulcan. I, I, that, that was stuff I was really interested in exploring. And I thought Enterprise was perfectly set up to do that. And so it wasn't just, uh, you know, fan uh, homages. I really wanted to explore these worlds that had been hinted at in the original series and in the series uh, down the road. And so being a prequel series, I thought it was a great opportunity to, to uh, you know, do you know, epic stories about Star Trek. You know, like the Forge was a perfect example, and that 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 you know the Vulcan arc we did uh, was a terrific example. And uh, I just I really thought Star Trek, you know, Enterprise was a, was could could was a great place to not only set up the original series, but like I said, really expand the Star Trek universe and let us see stuff we've always wanted to see as fans. We've actually heard the Vulcan arc that that's mentioned so much from our fans and listeners as being like probably their favorite. Uh, for all of Star Trek like that. That's cool. Because I think it's because of what you just said. I mean, we got to see the connection to the animated series. We got to see yeah, uh, exactly. to the uh, original series movies. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it, it really tied a lot of things together there. If you were paying attention. Well, you know, there was, I remember there, you know, there was a lot of criticism uh, on enterprise regarding the Vulcans and how they behaved and how they were, you know, they weren't, strictly logical and, and how they seem to have emotions and how they may be a little petty. And, 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 and I thought rather than that being a problem, I thought that was an interesting opportunity that this was a, an earlier Vulcan. Exactly. Exactly. So you, you know, it seemed to suggest to me a story about, you know, a Vulcan, you know, a planet Vulcan that was, that was still trying to embrace or had lost its way a little bit from the original teachings. And so that, that to me was a perfect opportunity to actually do that story. It was perfectly set up. So your credit for a co-executive producer starts with exile, which is the sixth episode of season three. How would someone be brought in in episode six rather than episode one of a season? How did that come about? From what I understand, Brandon had uh, Odyssey five had finished. And I think my, you know, my agents put me out there and, and, and Brandon had read and seen Odyssey and really liked it. He had just uh, let go of his co-exec producer. When I, when I went in to meet Brandon, you know, in season three, he, you know, he was, he looked like he was ready to jump out of a window. He was behind on the show and uh, he had just let go of, of one of a major member of his staff. And he really needed someone to come in and help him, you know, write some scripts and get the show back on its feet because it was he was behind uh and this is by the way not not just i mean this happens on every show we are you know i'm on i'm i'm doing you know this this season of 24 right now spinoff and and we're in a bind in fact the other day i tried to get brandon to come on i mean talk about reverse (laughs) (laughs) i I called him and he you know he's he's doing this show with seth seth mcfarland i'm like are you guys done can you come over help so it's it's like it's you know television is very hard as as you guys probably know you've read enough stories you've talked to enough people and it's it's like running in front of a train and so that, that's what that was I think Enterprise was in that state in season three he was desperate for staff and he met me and I knew the series and we got on great and 
So I came on. I was season six. The series had already been running, and just it happened to be a timing thing. You know, I didn't do anything on Exile or any of those first shows. I, I immediately. I mean, I just basically spent a while catching up on you know because I, I actually hadn't seen a lot of the recent season because I was working on my own show. So I caught up and and started outlining uh, Similitude. So that was really the first. Oh, I think I think Mike Sussman and I wrote one scene in Exile, I believe, which was my first Star Trek scene. But uh, but that was it. Yeah, you come on in the it was it was basically like jumping onto a moving train. So as you move along and as the show continues to go along, you transition from co-executive producer to executive producer. So what's the what are the difference in duties between being a co-executive and an actual executive producer of the show? Well, you know that can vary. I mean, but it really it really just means you're you're more and more. Uh, in charge of uh, episodes and uh, and you know developing story, you know you have more latitude to do stuff on your own and you know in different star- you know enterprise was its own kind of animal Rick uh, Rick Berman really handled the post and the editing uh, himself um, so it was uh, you know that was kind of his domain, which is you know in retrospect, wow what a great uh, relief that was because we could actually do the series. Because uh, on twenty, like on, on other shows, on twenty four, we spend half our time in the editing room and other half the time writing, and it's just it's monstrous. But uh, so on on you know, exec producer on Star Trek was really really running the room and and uh, casting and uh, you know kind of you know picking uh, designs, helping choose designs, and 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 kind of more responsibility really. The more you know, more responsibility, the higher your title goes. Enterprise is probably the series that uh, we fans actually know the least about. Uh, besides the Blu-ray extras, there hasn't been that much, you know, talked about or released as there has in other series. So, uh, at what point did you know that you were going to be given the keys to do whatever arc you wanted or whatever direction you wanted to with season four? And and what did that feel like for you? It was, um, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was. It was toward the end of season three. And uh, I think uh, Brandon was going off to develop something. And Brandon called me and, and I was in my car driving somewhere. And he said, yeah, you're, how'd you like to run season four? And uh, I was like, oh, come on. And he's like, no, seriously. And I was like, yes, great. <laughs> I remember, you know, I was, I was in Santa Monica on the road. I, I almost drove off the road. I was so excited. And... Uh, then I got a little less excited because, uh, you know, Rick, you know, the end of season three was, you know, they left the, they left the uh, Archer in Nazi Germany, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I, you know, we're going to write Manny into a corner here. So here you go. Go for it. I really didn't want to spend a lot of time in Nazi Germany. I, you know, I just was not what I think of as, I mean, it's fun for an episode or two, but not what I want. And Rick, I think Rick was pitching doing the entire season in world war two. Uh, what that would have been, I, I I couldn't even begin to to guess what I could have figured out. But that was Rick Rick one. I had to kind of argue him out of it, and uh, so I you know I kind of wrote it you know helped develop a two parter to to kind of do do you know finish the temporal cold war and then segue into I pitched these arcs. I really wanted to do these you know these three episode arcs and and uh, really uh, you know do epic stories that you know in, in my fantasy could be you know cut together into a feature. Um, and that explored facets of the universe. That's what I pitched Rick, and Rick was like, "You know what? What if you want to do it? Great. That that's great. We just, you know, so so it was cool, and uh, so it was great. I mean, it was it was it was a blast. It was it was a lot of fun, and those guys were really supportive, and and uh, you know, especially when I when I was able to uh, you know bring in the Reeve Stevens, which was 
they were godsends uh, uh, because I had read their a couple of their books and 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 loved them and loved their writing and and Rick was like cool and they were you know very cool so it was a, it was a lot of fun it was great fun. When and how did you find out that the fourth season was going to be the last? And did the studio give you any direction for the fourth season, or were you free to just explore the franchise as you wanted? We had no no direction from the studio as far as what the season would be. I think all of us knew that that the fourth season was going to be the last. I think it was kind of understood that uh, this was going to be it. And I, I you know I partially think that's why Brandon went off to develop something else. I think you know everybody knew it was going to be it was going to be it. And so, um, but uh, you know we wanted to go out you know strong. And and they said you know I don't. I don't because Rick really really handled the studio, so we really didn't get. I didn't really get much, you know, uh, stuff from the studio. It was mostly just Rick, and, and Rick was like, "Do what you want," and I mean, you know, do uh, as far as I like it. I mean, it was it wasn't complete blank check, but uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't a big surprise when we were canceled. I mean, I kind of knew that this was. I mean, barring a miracle, I mean, you know, the, the rating suddenly shot up, which never really happens. Um, uh, then then you know then this was going to be it. And so, you know, when we got the call, I wasn't, wasn't a big surprise. During the fourth season, you had mentioned uh, Judith and Garfield Ray Stevens and that they wrote several episodes and we're fans of novels and was curious as to why novel writers weren't used more for writing episodes. I don't know. I don't know. There was some, um, uh, I mean, it's a good question. I, I don't know. It was my, I don't know if those guys, those were the first novel writers who came on. Uh, but to me, it seemed like a natural. These guys um, uh, had such an, an encyclopedic knowledge of the Star Trek universe, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of their no- on the novel they did that involved the two captains. Captains, I believe it was. I forget the name of it. Federation. But it was really great. Yes, it might have been that one. Yeah, uh, it was just really terrific. I thought it was really terrific. And and and, and you know, they were. I just I just thought they were. They just have such a rich knowledge of, of the universe, and and my my feeling was even you know novel writers don't very rarely can become TV writers. I mean, it just you know, we, we you know we we try our, on twenty four we hired a couple of novel writers here and there, and they just never were able to make the transition. It's a different animal of writing. But I figured if they weren't able to do teleplays, then at the very least I get you know they they can help design the story arc for the season. Fortunately, they could do teleplays as well, so I got lucky. Uh, they were great at everything, and so, um, uh, but it's a mystery to me. I mean, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of great uh, Star Trek novel writers, um, and uh, those were my favorite. There's another uh, David. Uh, I'm blanking on his last name. He did uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of Star Trek novels that I really liked. David Mack. Um, not Mack. I'm blanking. I'll I'll figure I'll <laughs> I'll remember it in a little bit. But he was somebody I looked at. I remember looking into him, but he was out of town. He was. He lived in his own, a different state, and didn't want to leave. But uh, it was. You know, I thought it was. It worked well. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why there weren't more Star Trek novelists uh, hired. Oh, I'm sorry, Peter David. Peter David. Yeah. He was the guy. Just I just remembered him. Yeah. He was the guy. I, I think we inquired about him, and he was not uh, available or wasn't interested. I don't remember. It was been a while back. Here we are. We've basically had the best season of Enterprise with season four. Uh, the creativity that was given with uh, the. You know, the two and the three episode arcs throughout the season, you know, really let you stretch your legs and stuff. You come up with a nice swan song for the show with Demons and Terra Prime. How did it feel to be handed these are the voyages and say, this is how we want to end the show? (laughs) 
Well, I, I wasn't handed it. That was, they did it. I mean, they, you know, they I, basically, we, I mean, they, they, um, Rick and Brandon wanted to do a, an episode that not just ended the show, but ended, uh, the entire 18 year run of, uh, of, uh, you know, the franchise of their, their, you know, Rick's, uh, from, from next gen all the way to enterprise. So that was what that was about. And, and so I just focused on demons and terror prime. I considered those, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the finale for enterprise, a very worthy finale. I thought. So do most fans. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what it was. That was what is conceived as it really was. It was always thought as th- those were the, you know, that was the finale for enterprise. And these are the voyages was a, was a kind of a swan song for the entire, uh, franchise. It was always it was always seen that way, it, you know, and that was how it was designed. And so I'd really, it really didn't bother me. I, I wasn't I, I didn't really work on that episode. That was their episode. They they had produced it. I was basically working on you know the post on, on helping with the finale of Terra Prime, or I might have already been. It might have, I was already getting calls on on twenty four, and I was already maybe transitioning onto that when they were shooting these of the voyages. I think because I had finished. It was their it was basically their episode. Enterprise and Odyssey 5 were cancelled early, but Dexter and 24 gave you the opportunity to plan out a final year. What was the experience like having that creative freedom to ending a series that, the way that you wanted it to? And this question was submitted by one of the hosts of our network, Lee Hutchison. Well, it was, uh, it was uh, tremendous fun. I mean, it was... Uh, now, you know, Enterprise, I didn't consider... I mean, I know Enterprise considered early when you, enter it, when you, consider, when you uh, compare it with uh, the regular Star Trek series. But I actually, you know, to me, a four-year run was... Uh, it was pretty nice. Um, and so, uh, you know, I got to work on it for two years. And so to me, I was a, that was a, that was a good, goodly time. So I, I didn't really feel like I'd been cheated that much. I would have loved to have kept going, but, uh, it was still a lot of fun and I would have traded it for the world. Dexter and, and, uh, and 24 were, you know, were completely different, you know, animals. It was, it was, uh, 24 was, uh, was, was, fantastic in the sense that each season was its own kind of contained story it was it was uh you know telling an arc and uh from beginning to end and uh it was very satisfying to uh to do a, an entire series to the end run um it was uh it's challenging because the more you do the harder it is because you have you've done it all uh and on dexter that was uh, a problem as well as on on 24 and we're having that problem now on this reboot of 24 and I'm sorry, a reboot is really more of a, of a uh, spinoff of 24 that we're doing now. Um, you know, it's hard to come up with new stuff. So there, there's a downside to being on a series for a long time. Uh, and enterprise and Star Trek had that problem, uh, of course, because there's like some like six, 700 episodes or film material of Star Trek before, you know, so it was hard to find something new. It's, you know, it was, it was fun to be on a show towards this, towards this, you know, later years. Uh, Mano, what kind of difficulties were there in working on a show like 24 that was one continuous story for the season? It's, uh, it's tremendously difficult. I mean, you know, it's, uh, 24 is especially hard because it's not, just, it's not just a serialized show. It is a real-time show that, you know, every episode is an hour. So, consequently, you can't get too far ahead because if you, you know, some guy is up, a writer's ahead of me writing episode four and I finished episode three, but gosh, I've, I've just realized that something in episode three isn't working and I got to make a change. Well, episode four gets destroyed and so does episode five after that. So we find you really can kind of get ahead. And so you're kind of flying by the speed of your pants, at least on 24. Dexter was more, 
because it wasn't real time, Dexter was more planned out this season. 24 was written with kind of a general idea where we were going, but it was really kind of improvising as we went along. It was kind of like a giant improv show. And if you've ever read Stephen King's book uh, on writing, when he describes his writing process, it's very similar. He would, you know, get an idea and just start writing. And he said the story would take you where it would take you. And that's kind of the way 24 was done. We would come up with an idea. We had a general idea where we were going. And then we would just improvise and the story, you know, kind of wound. Very often, I think on most seasons, it ended up looking like we planned the whole thing because we were, you know, we found connections and, you know. And what's, what's great about it is that I think well, Stephen King's quote was, you know, what, what's great about that method of writing is that I'm making it up as I go along. And if I don't know where the story is going, odds are the audience doesn't. And I think that worked with 24. We would deliberately write ourselves into corners. And we'd have to figure it out the next episode, how to get out of it. And if we were clever enough, the audience wouldn't be ahead of us. And it's, you know, it's very hard. There are a lot of, uh, you know, my, my Christmas vacation is pretty much shot now. I'm going to be writing all Christmas. But it's also incredibly rewarding. Um, because uh, when you get it right, it's it's uh, it's quite a lot of fun. But 24 was 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 particularly brutal in that sense. Very hard to to do a serialized show that's just that's real time with with every episode kind of depending on the previous one. How did your experience working with uh, Enterprise uh, season three, the long arc of season three? How did that help you prepare? Or how how does that compare to uh, the continuous story that you have going on with 24? Well, that, that's interesting. It, it, it was actually a, it was kind of a preview of 24, ironically. I mean, you know, the, the continuous, the Zindi arc on, on Enterprise had a very, I mean, you, it was almost a 24 plot in outer space, if you think about it. You know, Earth's being attacked by terrorists, and the Enterprise is out in space trying to stop the terrorists. And, you know, there was a couple of moments where Archer almost became Jack Bowery, put a guy in a, in a, uh, in an airlock, mm-hmm. torturing the guy, basically. Um, that wasn't intended. I mean, I was the, I don't think 24 was, I think 24 was on at the time, but I don't think that wasn't the influence. I mean, it was just, it was just the way the story worked out because the stakes were so high, you know, when the stakes were so high, your characters have to make choices. And that's one of the fascinating things about 24, um, is that when the stakes are that high, when so many lives are at stake, what does your character do? Uh, what, what, what limits will your character go? And we kind of had that with Archer in, uh, this indie arc, which was, I thought was really interesting. Um, so it was very similar. It was very eerily similar, the uh, the long arc of, of season three to what I ultimately later did on 24. It's actually quite interesting because 24 and, and Enterprise actually started within about two weeks of each other. They both started in the fall of 2001. And, you know, like the television... Uh, the face of television was changing at that time because Sopranos had started in 1999, right? And Sopranos started basically the the arc. Yeah, Deep Space Nine kind of did, but Sopranos was a 13-episode season arc. And then, you know, we kind of get into 24 with a with a 24-episode arc and whatnot. And so Star Trek then came in with season three of... Uh, Enterprise and did a season long arc there, but it was a little bit a little bit behind the gun on that. But they both started at the exact same time within a few weeks of each other. It's really neat. Yeah, you know, now that you're mentioning it, you're right because I remember because Odyssey Five actually started the same year, and that my mind didn't survive. But I remember we were trying to get Bakula for Odyssey Five, and he had just signed on to uh, Enterprise, so they were all kind of you know starting at the same time. It's weird. 
mm-hmm. the three shows that I ultimately ended up working on. Wow, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I mean, Odyssey Five, they're all the same year. Back, we tried to get back here, and we're like, no way, you're not going to get them. They made them this huge deal on Enterprise. And then mine went for a year, and I ended up going on Enterprise. And then 24 had just because of Howard Gordon, my buddy, uh, who I'd worked with before, called me about 24. I remember talking to him when I was on Odyssey Five about this new show he had just got on uh, 24 and how hard it was. And nobody knew what it was. At that point, he, was, he thought it was like, this is never going to go anywhere. It's really weird. But, uh, but I remember it was all at the same time, those three shows. It's pretty weird. So uh, before we get into the listener questioners here, I have one more question from a host of the network. Uh, his name's Mike Schindler, and he's the other host on Stage 9. And Mike Schindler, one of the really cool things about Mike is he likes to try and interconnect different franchises because of you know, something that may have been said or, you know, something that connects them because of how somebody spoke or whatnot. Like it's, he's way better at that than I am, but he likes to interconnect. So he's got this whole fan theory of certain things take place within the same universes. And he's convinced that 24 takes place in the mirror universe of Star Trek. Can you confirm? Wow. Awesome. That's why not? I mean, listen, I mean, 24, um, you think about it, the alternate universe of 24 is a pretty bleak place. I mean, you know, the United States has been attacked by, I think, like five or six nuclear weapons. There have been, you know, presidents that have been assassinated. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe maybe we should start doing, a, you know, a thread on, uh, on uh, you know, uh, augments, <laughs> early augments. I mean, why not? I mean, that's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go, Mike. That's Thank actually you. a very clever idea. I mean, why not? I mean, I, again, like 24 is like a dis- when you really, when, you know, when it gets down to this later season, it really starts to resemble a dystopia. So, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Very good. So there you go, Mike. Confirmed by Manny Cotto, 24. That's awesome. <laughs> definitely. A, a now I'm going to, you guys, I'm going to try to sneak in the mirror universe symbol. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. Don't tell anyone. I'm going to try to do it. I don't know how, but I'm going to try to sneak it in. So uh, before we move on, I just want to thank you for season seven of 24. Uh, bringing Tony back was awesome. That was my favorite season of the show. <laughs> well, that's great. It's funny because we, we're, you know, we're bringing Tony back for this. Oh, I just got off the, I just got off the phone with Carlos. He was giving, he was, I think they're shooting right now. He was giving me a, he was fixing some of my lines. <laughs> oh, wow. So we got some breaking news here, Brandon. Excellent. No, no, it's actually been, it was announced. It was announced a little while ago. Oh, I followed okay. nothing. I want no spoilers. <laughs> I, I, so that's that's a good little one. That's a nice little nugget. I'm okay with that. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you on season seven. That was, a, that was an example of a season that almost didn't happen. We, because the season before, season six was kind of the worst season of 24, and it was kind of went off the rails, and the critics were, were harsh, and I think the ratings dropped, and when we were trying to come up with season season seven, we were blocked. There, I mean, there was a long period where we could not figure out what to do. There were fights. There were people threatening to quit. I mean, it looked for a while like there was not like the show was just going to end. And then basically, I just I fixed two things. One, Jack Bauer in front of a Senate committee, being uh, grilled over his past, you know, torture. I mean, there was also you know in the previous season there had been all the media reports on 24, whether it had encouraged torture and whatnot. And my idea was let's embrace that in a sense of let's put Jack Bauer on trial. Let's, let's actually put him in front and have him, have him answer one way or another. And the second idea was like, you know, let's bring Tony back because Tony was killed supposedly by Peter Weller 
but we never, you know, he kind of died in a soft way and we didn't, uh, he, he didn't get a silent clock for some bizarre reason. And so I realized, you know, there's an opportunity and it, and, and it, what makes it not hokey is that he comes back as a bad guy. Um, if he had just come back like as a good guy to save the day, like you're eye rolling, but if he's coming back with, you know, as a changed individual, I think that's what made it palatable and fun. Well, you guys also took a break in between season six and seven for a year. No, what we had was the, um, oh, that was season eight, maybe. There was a writer's strike in there. There was a, there was another writer's strike that put us, that, that, that delayed us. So that, that might have been the break you're thinking about. I think it was between seven and eight, but I could be wrong. There was a, there was a big strike in there. Yeah, I, I think it was between six and seven because you took the break and then you did the two-hour movie. Oh, it was. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. It was six and seven because I remember the writer's strike actually saved us because we were able to shoot a couple episodes and then kind of stop and then, you know, think on our own what we can, you know, so by the time we came, they actually gave us a reprieve so that we can, you know, figure out where we were. So, yes, you're right. Exactly right. Wow. So sometimes a writer's strike comes in handy. Yeah, that one it came in handy that year, even though we were waiting, even though we lost tons of money. We were just like, we were like, oh, phew. Now we can now we can stop and think. Writer strikes are funny things. Sometimes you get season seven of twenty four, and sometimes you get shades of gray. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. All right. So, uh, Manny, we're gonna change gears here a little bit. We're gonna switch to some uh, listener questions, and I can tell you that. Um, our listeners, our Warp Five listeners, and Trek FM fans and Enterprise fans. When we, if we do a poll, which we haven't, if we do a poll and we lay down season one, season two, season three, season four, which is your favorite season? Season four, it just whips the other three like nobody's business. I mean, it's oh, it's very sweet. Well, it's 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 it's, it's so much fun. It's gratifying. You have a lot of fans with uh, our Facebook group for the Trek FM's called the Babel Conference, and <laughs> you have a lot of fans there for season four. Um, I listened. I listened to Warp Five for, uh, in a, in, a, in a year, but I think it was you know I think last year when I was doing the drives to either Dexter. I remember listening to it a bunch. I really enjoyed it oh very good very good well it got really good this past year because that's when i became host so you're, you're in for some you're in for a treat. Yeah, i'm gonna go pick up on it again I, <laughs> okay. I, uh, I go through i go through periods of star trek frenzy and then i kind of you know i i uh i retreat a little bit into other things and then i go back and i'm starting to get into a start i started watching the old series again with my son and so I'm, it's starting the fever is starting to hit again my sons i'm also getting them going on it myself so yep so yeah. uh listener uh laura sai she actually saw you on an episode of IFC's The Writer's Room. She had mentioned that uh-huh. the there were, you had an idea in the room that you just were just spitballing an idea and they like it kind of got voted down and then you later just kind of laughed about it like, yeah, that was just silly. I, I just thought that up. And she wanted to know, were there any ideas that you had on enterprise that were shot down or scratched that were just like really out there. Like she was, she's looking for something really crazy or something. This is, I'll, I'll tell you the idea, but this is a bad idea. Okay. Right. <laughs> this was a really bad idea. It was a crazy idea, but it was a bad one. And, and, and in hindsight, not one that should have been done, but I'll just throw it out there. I wanted to kill Archer. Oh, and the reason was I thought it would, and by the way, he could have turned out to be alive later on, but I thought it would have like, you know, I thought the crew going into the, you know, some of the seasons felt like they were just kind of going through the motions in places. And I thought it would be interesting to deprive them of the person who was, you know, they looked up to. And so they would have to kind of figure out their own, and they would have been in an isolated area. 
and they would have had to figure out their own paths, who was in charge, how, you know, who, who, uh, this, you know, this idea of a leader that not everybody can get behind, I, I think is fascinating because, you know, ultimately power is very, uh, it's, you know, it's, 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 it can, it's very delicate and, and it can go away as long as people believe in you. And I thought that was an interesting possibility to explore on a couple of episodes or maybe for, you know, four or five episodes, but bad idea. Cause I, I really like Bakula and that was not, that never would have flown. Well, Archer's, his Katra could have been somewhere, you know, I mean, we could have. Yeah, exactly right. No, exactly right. And I'm trying to think of, you know, there was, you know, the other, the other idea I wanted to do was the cloud city. I remember that. Uh, I wanted to see the origins of the cloud city and explore. That wasn't a particularly crazy idea, but it was one that I, that I thought would be a lot of fun. The, you know, the other thing I want to do is the season. If we had season five, I wanted to do a mirror universe, basically a season within a season where, you know, it would, season five would have been peppered with four or five mirror universe episodes that would have been their own kind of standalone series within another series and, uh, would have told a really, you know, epic tale of the mirror universe, uh, that which could, which could have been fun. By the, by the way, the one, the one big regret on Star Trek was, and I know this has been reprinted in places was, you know, we almost had Shatner on the show, uh, and because the Reeves Stevens had come up with an idea to do, you know, Tiberius story from mirror universe, the idea that, you know, the, uh, the device in the mirror mirror that, that makes people vanish actually puts them into a pocket universe and they were all still there. And the idea that, you know, Tiberius had been, had been put there by Spock. Um, and so he was there and kind of living this kind of, you know, in this time bubble and, and enterprise comes aboard it. So it became Archer against, Tiberius Kirk, which I'm just pitching now. I'm getting, I'm getting pissed that we didn't do it. <laughs> but uh, we had lunch with Shatner, and he was on board. But you know, Paramount ultimately didn't want to pay the money. Huh. Man, that would have been awesome. That would have been great. That would have been insanely great. Wow, that would have been great. Okay, that would have been insane. Now I'm pissed. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to go home, and I'm, I'm going to be able to go to sleep. So write a novel. <laughs> The Reeve Stevens, you're right. They're the ones that came up with it. It was a great idea. You can get it on that. Get a chapter on that. Get your name on the front of that, co- that book. <laughs> man. Listener Mark Flessa says, what was the reasoning behind killing off Admiral Forrest, one of the best reoccurring characters in the series? It did help Saval open up to Archer and trip to become a more active friend to humanity. Uh, was was that the reason, or were there other factors in play? Well, actually, those were, those, those two were, were big parts of the reason. Again, I had, you know, in my idea about killing Archer... I just think that it's you're putting your you're putting your main characters through uh, real ordeals and tests are what it's you know about, and uh, that story in particular needed a real shock and jolt to the system to get it off the ground. Um, you know, I think drama has to shock you and surprise you, and like real life, when you know when when you know it's, it's not everybody, it's not all hunky dory. Everybody survives and. And, uh, you know, the, the space is a, is a dangerous, uh, place. And, and, and if we were telling this, this particular arc, we felt it really needed to kick off with a, with a shocking and blood curdling event that really affected our characters. And so that was the reason that was, the, that was the main reason you can't, I mean, we've done it on 24 many times, you know, killing Edgar, uh, that was, uh, you know, killing the president in season five was, uh, was my idea. And the reason I pitched it, not because I just like to kill people, but we, we needed a story to get Bauer out of, uh, he was in, in hiding, and we needed something that was powerful that would drive him emotionally through the season. 
we were searching for an idea that, and I pitched that, and it became what we riffed on and became the entire season. It really motivated held that entire season because our character was emotionally invested. And that was a similar impulse, uh, of, you know, for the, for the, for killing forest in season four. We have a listener, uh, Davis Grayson and a lot of, we had a lot of questions that were wanting to know about what was going to happen later. And I know you've spoke about that in other places and ideas that you had, uh, but he had asked, um, did, was there any plan that you had or anything, any idea maybe about, uh, expanding the fleet, maybe bring in the Atlantis, the Discovery, the Challenger, and Endeavor. Now, to be honest, no, we never, you know, we never, we never got that far. That would have been a, it's a great idea, and it probably would have been if we had continued down the road. I do know that we wanted to build another ship and more ships, and see, you know, if we had continued, we wanted, we would have wanted to see, you know, the Federation and uh, Starfleet begin those, those, you know, really begin to expand. So certainly, I mean, I think that's where we would have, if we had gone seven, seven seasons, that was, that's where we naturally would have ended up. But we honestly didn't talk about it because we never really got there. And you definitely would have probably run into that Romulan War, that little, that little thing. Well, that's that was my baby. I wanted to start that sucker. Yes. I mean, yes. I, you know, that would have been. That's a headline right there. Manny Cotto starts the Romulan War. I remember crunching the math with the Reeve Stevens. Is there any way we can figure this out and get it going, you know? <laughs> I would have started that in season four if I could, but it was just can't, you know, just didn't fit. So listener, Justin Oser, I hope I said your name right. Um, uh, he, he asked a question. I want to expand on it a little bit. His question was, did you have plans to bring captain Erica Hernandez in for season five and how would you have expanded her character? But I also wanted to ask on that. So we didn't hear of Hernandez before the episode home. Now we had we had heard about a lot of these people and how uh, Admiral Gardner was supposed to have been the captain. Uh, he got promoted to admiral. There was A.G. Robinson and and uh, Archer back in season two, uh, who were vying to see who's going to be the captain there. And they had mentioned all these other people, uh, but all of a sudden. Captain Hernandez comes in, and here we go. We've got a, a female Hispanic woman coming in who's just come out of nowhere, which is wonderful. We get some representation that's not a white male in charge, right? So expanding on that, how did Hernandez come about? Well, I think we, if I remember correctly on home, we wanted, you know, we wanted Archer to, you know, to bond with someone. I think it was to become somewhat romantic or, or, or whatnot. But we, and, and we, and, you know, I think I remember pitching making it a, a Hispanic because I'm Cuban myself. So, I, you know, I thought it was high time and I don't I think I remember you know it was basically an idea that was built into the episode um we wanted to give Archer a, you know an experience at home you know hence the title and we wanted to be with someone who was equal in stature and who uh was uh someone that he respected and would respect him and you know I think at a certain point the idea of, an, of, a, of a second starship commander came about and and I had not seen a a, a Latina uh, commander and I really like this actress uh, when she came in in red and and uh, I was like that's that's the one it, it was it was it was you know it was uh, really just breaking an episode and coming up with ID, the idea for it but I wish uh, I don't I think she appeared again am I mistaken or am I, am I, am I hallucinating yeah she was in charge of the Columbia in uh, near the end of it so and trip trip ended up going over there that's right yeah would you think she would have come back later on and would you expanded her character I would have loved to expand it. I would have, you know, I would have, I would have absolutely. I, you know, I really liked her, and I, and I thought, uh, you know, I would have no idea what I would have had it done. But I mean, she would have been a terrific, you know, some, you know, additional, you know, with her ship and and 
and you know, with Enterprise and 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 uh, it would have been an expansion of Starfleet. I wanted to put Shran on the bridge for season five. You know, put it, put it, because I really love that character. That would and have been so awesome. <laughs> I really, Combs and I were, we really got along, and I really, I loved hanging out with him. And because uh, I was a, re a Lovecraft reanimator fan, so there, there yeah. you go. Um, and I, uh, and I wanted to bring, put him on the bridge for the for a season, you know, for some, some it would be liaison or whatever. I could come up with a reason, but he would have been tremendous on the show. We had a listener. She asked. Um, her name is Amy Grugan. And also, we actually had a couple of other listeners in another group, uh, Fred Guerrera and Emma Aridi, and they were asking like shipping questions. That's that's a that's a podcast thing, and people watch shows and they ship people. So like there are Janeway Chakotay shippers, and there are Picard Crusher shippers. Well, Amy relationshipers, right? Relationshipers. Oh oh uh, oh! Yes, I have heard that. I have heard that. All right. Okay. So no, yeah, I, I glanced on it a while back. I remember. Okay, go ahead. Well, the first time I heard that, I thought they were talking about the ship ship. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I never. Yeah, I, know, I did too, but you didn't. Now I remember, I remember reading the, the, the I remember hearing the, you know, the shortening of a relationship. So I remember, right. I remember it. So I did read about it somewhere. But. So Amy asked, uh, were there any plans for, to get Hoshi and Travis together? There were not. Okay. Right. <laughs> they hey, just never talked about it. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all, actually. But uh, I mean, they were two, you know, beautiful people, uh, oh, yeah. and you know, they, they would have been. I think it would have been a fun, actually, a fun relationship. Actually, now that you think okay. about it, uh, because yeah. he was a, you know, he was a boomer and he was experienced in space, and she's scared of everything. Um, although that changed, you know, as the series went on. But, but uh, you know, that would have been fun. I mean, I think relationships are, you know, they're really they can bring, you know, you can use them to really bring out characters who bring out you know something in them that you don't normally see on on the bridge and i think star trek uh you know enterprise we probably should have done more of that because it was it could work well fred and emma they were looking more at trip and to paul's relationship and they they wanted to know were you really were you wanting to make them official or where was that going to go to me it was always a uh, I, I always thought it was kind of a doomed relationship i don't remember because it never you know we never you know the series ended so we were not able to to really take it further but to me, it was kind of a, of a doomed release because of, the, of, the, of who these people are. And I just thought it was more romantic that these two individuals who were in love and who could never quite, you know, could uh, uh, make it together. And uh, so it was, um, it was really no, you know, it was really no plans for them further because I think, you know, we never really got to talk about it. And I think, I think probably what we would have done was have it end, but be very tense and hard on, on the ship. And ultimately, it you know blossoms again because they can't. Uh, it would have been interesting to see trip with someone else and her, you know, try you know use her, her, uh, you know, her lack of emotions to try to not be affected by it and whatnot. So it would have been it would have been fun to put them through a real uh, crisis together, uh, even more than the one they you know they went through. Um, but uh, I can't remember specifically what the future plans were, but I think it was definitely something we would have exploited. Or had fun with. Well, she would have had emotions. She would have just been trying really hard not to show them, right? Well, that's exactly right. <laughs> Listener Brandon Coles has a short question. All he says is "future dude?" Question mark. <laughs> I I don't didn't we? I don't remember if we ever answered who Future Man was. No, I think it's Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump. That's who it was. It's it, uh, it was. Uh, Actually, it was Brandon Braga. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we. I don't know who Future Dude was. Honestly, I don't. I didn't make him up. You got to ask Brandon. Okay. Okay. Well, he's not born yet, anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> Listener Dave Veenstra ask what motivated you to settle on the three episode arc as the standard for season four and what were the strengths and weaknesses of committing to this format? Um, it was really an inspiration of, I mean, I really Voyager, some of my favorite episodes were the two episode, uh, the two parters that they did on Voyager. Um, you know, the time travel one and the, the Borg one, I, I, the names escape me right now, but those, I, I just, you know, the one with, with the, with the, uh, the, the couple was studying the Borg from a distance, like, the, the, you know, like, uh, Dark Frontier. like wildlife explorers. Dark Frontiers, exactly. Thank you. I, um, I just love those episodes. And, and, and I, and, uh, you know, for a season three, I, uh, I wanted to do something different. We had done a season long arc and I wanted to kind of tell, like, like I said earlier at the beginning of this interview, epic stories. And I kind of felt just instinctually that the kind of stuff I was thinking about, you know, the Vulcan arc and, and Dorian arc and, and those kind of things, that uh, they would probably not fit into two episodes. That we could do something longer and more epic in three episodes. And so that was really kind of how I settled, settled onto it. It was just the kind of stories I really wanted to tell. Um, and it also, by the way, and this wasn't the motivation for it, but it was a happy accident. You know, because the budget for season four was trimmed and doing, you know, multiple episodes in setting, you know, more or less, you know, similar locations or same locations helped save money on the show. Um, but again, that wasn't really the, the motivation. It was just more the kind of stories I wanted to tell. I, I just felt that, that the three episodes, I mean, again, like I said, I have these fantasies that they'd be cut into little movies that you can find, you can get on, you know on uh, DVD and watch them. Well, you're currently working on 24 right now. Um, can you, what can you tell us about 24? Are there any other really cool behind-the-scenes Enterprise stories you can tell? What else are you working on right now? <laughs> well, uh, you know, 20, uh, we're, I'm, I'm, right now we're doing the, uh, a spinoff of 24. We're doing a, a, uh, a series that stars, you know, it's called 24 Legacy, and it's with Corey Hawkins, who was uh, the lead who played Dr. Dre in... Um, in straight out of Compton. And, uh, we, uh, it's an idea that, uh, that I pitched uh, I mean, a while back for actually is a different series. Uh, and, uh, ultimately at Fox, when we learned that Kiefer wasn't coming back, realized that it would make a great season of 24, uh, for its, you know, its own different, you know, spinoff. And so that's what we did. So that's where we are now. We shot a pilot <laughs> last year and it was, came out really terrific and we got ordered and, we are now in the middle of uh, shooting episode seven for a 12 episode order, which will premiere in January after the Super Bowl. So it's, it's pretty exciting. The episode, the series is coming out great. The cast is really great. Corey Hawkins is just awesome. And uh, it looks like it could be really cool. It's a lot of fun. Um, but it's like I said, it's really grueling. I and mean, we're bringing back Tony Almeida. So that's great. Uh, you know, and in the middle of the season, so, cause I love working with Carlos. And so there's a lot of great surprises and it's going to be a really wild season a wild, wild ride. Behind-the-scenes stories of enterprise. While you're thinking about that, I'll say something. So one thing that I think you should pat yourself on the back for is the last season of 24, the the last 12-episode arc that we had. Um, I think it really spawned something interesting about another change in television. Like, that paved the way for the X-Files reboot. 
the the X Files relaunch that paved the way for Prison Break is coming back. Like Fox is taking some chances now, bringing back some of these older shows. And I think that's really wonderful, and I think you should be applauded for that because I really do believe that the last 24 uh, miniseries helped to bring about this new resurgence of some old television shows that we really love. Yeah, no, no, it's, it, it's pretty cool. It was, it was kind of a, uh, it's amazing how that's happened. Yeah, that, that was that that uh, that 24 season really kind of perked everyone's eyes up to like, hey, we can keep these things going. And so uh, I, I just hope it doesn't get out of hand. You know what I mean? But. Uh, but it's fun to see the old series come back. Uh, anyway, guys, I'm blanking on a, on a behind the scenes. That's fine. That's I, fine. That's fine. <laughs> so, is there anything else you're working on you can tell us about? I'm, I'm no, sure that's really it right now. I mean, it's full. It's full time on 24. It, it's it's uh, a day and night, and uh, and uh, we're uh, you know we're 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 in the thick of it now with uh, a premiere coming up in January, and and you know between, and we're three episodes away from the ending and we don't know what they are so uh it's, it's pretty crazy right now how can our listeners contact you or follow you on social media um well i have a twitter account uh, i think it's the real manny Cotto or manny Cotto, manny hector Cotto. um that's probably the best way my i re- rarely i go i rarely go onto the facebook page and it's really mostly for family and friends but uh twitter is a pl- great place to ask me stuff very I used good. to have a webpage. Somebody made a webpage for me, but I haven't been, been to it in a while. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Manny, for coming on Warp 5 and talking about thank you. all your work. Uh, we really enjoy Enterprise, and it's always a treat to, uh, you know, when you getting through Season 4, you know, it's the think of the what of, might have been, and you, had, you, you really piqued our interest, and all of our fans really appreciate that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate everything, and it was a lot of fun. So, wow, Brandon, Manny Cotto on Warp 5. Can you believe this? I need a cigarette. <laughs> that was so awesome. Like, that has, been, we, that has been the guest that I've been wanting for so long. I can't believe it. Thank you so much for landing that guest. That is awesome. We have to thank Larry Nemechek because Larry Nemechek was the one who put me in touch with him. I harassed Larry Nemechek until he got me Manny Cotto's email. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Larry. Thank you so much. Uh, that was that was great. That was great. So thinking back a little bit here, um, wow, we almost lost Archer. That that kind of shocked me. Like, I didn't know about that. Have you ever heard about that? No. Yeah. That was the first I'd ever heard of it. Wow. But I mean, of course we had a way to ride ourselves out of that because he could have had his Katra somewhere and he would have been doing it before Spock. All right. This is a prequel. Spock would have been learning it from him. You know, this is, you put yourself somewhere just for safekeeping. Maybe, maybe we do the doctor thing. So it's a flocks, you know, and wow. Uh, he, he said, he said he really liked Bakula, but I was like, you know, I mean, he could have played it like his evil twin from the mirror universe self on that. I don't know. That was, that I was think that would have cool. been neat. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. It was so amazing. Like 24, 20, 20 I remember when 24 started back in 2001, right? Like he wasn't on the show at the time, but I remember the first three episodes of that show just completely blew my mind. I was working in a coffee shop and I could not shut up about 24. I was telling everybody, I'm like, have you seen this show? Have you, this is crazy. Have you seen this show? And I, I don't know. Did you ever watch 24? I have seen a few episodes, but it's kind of one of those, you better get it from the start. 
Yeah. And- the um the third episode, like the, the it wasn't even the best part of the storyline, but like the the Jack Bauer's daughter and some other girl were like at some party and they were like drunk and getting in trouble and stuff. And at the end of the third episode, you think they're getting home and everything's gonna be okay, and she gets hit by a freaking car. So like the episode ends. And I'm just like, what are these people doing to me? What is going on here? I was hooked right from the beginning. And there's some really good stuff. Like some of the seasons that he talks about that when Manny Cota got in is really, really good stuff. Five, six, seven, and eight. Um, I didn't appreciate eight as much the first time that I watched it. But when I rewatched it for uh, the last season that came out, the the first short shortened season that they did, I really appreciated it a lot more. But seasons, I thought season seven was great. Season seven is really epic. So. Wow. Well, you've, you've sold me, so I'll definitely be catching that. Cause, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so. I love that was a lot of, of fun. I love those kind of shows anyway. So, yeah, that was great. And and then he just told us that he listens to Warp 5. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? That's so... Okay. That It's like he's a Star Trek fan or something. Yeah, like he said, he's been a Star <laughs> Trek fan his whole life. Like, he actually listens to Trek FM and stuff, you know. So, we'll, we'll get him... Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was that was that was awesome. That was we great. should start doing things like on every episode. We should just start touting out little things like, "Hey Manny, how's it going? Hope your day is well. <laughs> Have a coffee and and uh, just remember your friends at Warp Five. Yep. Have a good Sh- day, Manny. Shout outs, shout outs to showrunners. Yes. So uh, <laughs> chatting with Ch- Star Trek showrunners is not the only thing we've been doing on Trek FM this week. So here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM. Earl Grey. And then as kind of a teenager, I kind of drifted a bit from Star Trek. And, you know, I pretended one time when I went to see Star Trek Nemesis that I was actually off to see Elf instead because that sounded cooler than seeing Star Trek Nemesis. And um, maybe it still is. To the journey! Maybe even playing it with Tuvok, who I think will be brilliant at it. And then and then it just constantly going, brr, brr, like yeah. him just getting really annoyed. Yeah. Tuvok would be the Operation Champ. Yeah, he would. Yeah. See, and then the evil holographic doctor from Equinox is singing, you know, the particular nodes connected to the... (laughs) Yes. Warp 5. We should get Larry Nemechek on, and we should do a supplemental episode where we just talk and we act like we're Tellarites and we just insult each other for the whole episode. (laughs) You would probably love it. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I I don't know. That would be... I might have to get coached by our listeners. Meta Trex. And that's that's the world of language that we live in. It's not this this purely referential sense of language. Like when Riker says a minuet, he doesn't just mean, oh yeah, that thing minuet that I can point to, whatever that is on the holodeck, right? 17th century French dance. Maybe maybe he wants to dance. <laughs> Riker wants to bust a move. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, or you can go over to our website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link or download the MP3 file. And if you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit that subscribe button. That helps us so much getting the visibility with new listeners and it works that algorithm magic on iTunes. And that helps us out so much. And also leaving us a star review and rating also helps us with that visibility. So thank you so much, Boomers, and help us grow the show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and leave us a voicemail. That would be pretty cool to add into the show. 
Another way you can help us is to keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit P patreon.com slash trekfm that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm you'll find all our current goals and milestones so we're a listener supported network if you like what you hear like manny Cotto interviews and all the greatness that we have at trek fm please think about helping us out every little bit helps a dollar helps five dollars gets you access to our patron zone where we've been releasing early episodes you'll actually get to hear this episode if you're a patron right now, you're hearing this ahead of everyone else because you're a patron. So thank you so much. You can also get producer credits and you can get a seat on the patrons roundtable. So Brandon, you've actually uh, been giving us a lot of news about the patrons roundtable. So what, what are our plans for that? Yeah, so we're all caught up. We finally got everything released. So we had a we had a bit of a backlog on the release of some of the episodes, but they're all out now. And uh, as as we're recording now, we had another one in December. So there's been 21 roundtables, and you can find them all in the uh, in the master feed. But we're going to be doing one a month. Uh, and we're going to be having, hopefully we're going to get a few different hosts of the network to help out. So it's not just Aaron and me hosting. Um, but maybe you can get on the air with one of your favorite hosts. And to do that, you just have to go to patreon.com slash Trek FM and, uh, donate at the $15 per month level. And, uh, we're going to be doing at least once a month. We're going to be getting a round table for you out there. And, uh, Lee Hutchison of Earl Gray has said he wants to host some, um, and a few other people on the network have said that they might be interested in hosting one as well so uh if you're interested in that just uh donate at the 15 dollar a month level um and if you donate at the five dollar a month level uh you can get access to patron.zone which is where we have some of our early releases and uh we've actually been pretty good at getting uh, the warp five episodes up early on there so you can listen to them a couple of days ahead of time um we have a little bit of exclusive content on there some cool deleted scenes from episodes and uh ken tripp and i even did a commentary for uh trials and tribulations that's up on there so you can listen to a cool commentary yep so patreon.com slash truck fm that's where i got started becoming an associate producer of warp five and then next thing you know I'm on the second patrons roundtable, and then next thing you know, things just kind of work their way. Here I am on the mic. So it's kind of weird how things work out. Also, if you want to wear your Trek FM fandom, you can find great Trek FM themed merchandise at trekfm.store. So we've got holidays coming up or birthdays, and you can let your loved one know that you'd like to show everyone your love for Star Trek and Trek FM fandom by getting you that t-shirt or that pillow or that blanket, or maybe I, they might even throw you a cape. They might even have like customized capes. You know, I might just have to get me one of those. Maybe. I don't know. It, it might not actually be on there, but I just thought I just had that idea. I might need to get a warp five cape. Uh, thank you always to my co-associate producer, Mike Morrison. Uh, he is a patron of Trek FM and a so co-associate producer of Warp 5. You can find Mike on Babel Conference, Trek FM's dedicated Facebook listeners page. You can also hear Mike over on his show Metatrex, where he and Zachary Freeling discuss all things philosophical through a Star Trek lens. And Brandon, thank you so much for taking care of the editing and publishing of Warp 5. Uh, it, is, it has been great uh, how quickly we've been getting these out. We've been recording them uh, actually really quickly and then we're we've kind of stored them up a little bit so thank you so much brandon yeah you're very welcome it's been a lot of fun and also thank you tony robinson for getting us this really great uh show art 
for our show. So anytime you see one of our show announcements, got our show art on it, it shows you what uh, show number we have. That was made by Tony here lately. So thank you so much, Tony. You can also contact us through Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. And as we mentioned throughout the show, the Babel Conference, type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Wow, Brandon, show number 100. So, you know, I'm already kind of, you know, getting a little bit greedy. Show 200, we're, can, are we really, can we top Manny Cotto for show 200? Or maybe we can just have him back on for that one. What do you Let's think? Let's have him back on. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We'll, we, won't, we won't have to wait for maybe 100 shows. We might have him on earlier than that. So, Brandon, if our fans would like to know uh, what you really think about 24, how could they get in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Brandon Metella. Um, I Every once in a while, I poke my head up in the Babel Conference. So you can find me there. Uh, you can listen to my show, Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. And uh, yeah, you can. You know what we would love to hear as well? Go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and send us a quick little voicemail and we'll throw it on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us your favorite episode of Enterprise. Tell us your favorite character. Tell us anything you want about Star Trek Enterprise. We'll throw it on the episode for you. Floyd, when you're not shipping Hoshi and Trip, where can people find you? I honestly, yeah, I never even thought of the shipping thing. Like I, when I heard of that, I really, I was kind of like Manny. I was like, why are they talking about the ships? But yeah, if you <laughs> if you ever want to talk to me about it, now that I know what it is, uh, you can find me in the Babel Conference, the Trek FM listeners page on Facebook. So Brandon, let's we're this is this is pretty awesome. We're we're gonna have to go. Uh, this is really really cool this is manny Cotto. thank you so much uh boomers hope you enjoyed this episode thank you so much for listening and join us again next time for another episode of warp five <laughs>